The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. And this is the Pat Kenny Show with Anton in for Pat. In 1999, writer and filmmaker Jimmy Smallhorn put pen to paper on the first draft of a story close to his heart. 24 years later, The Miracle Club, a film capturing the reality and heroism of working class life, especially the mothers of working class life, is out now in cinemas. The Miracle Club sees the women of Ballygar chasing their dream of winning a pilgrimage to the sacred French town of Lourdes. I'm joined in studio now by Jimmy Smallhorn. Jimmy, good morning. Good morning, Panton. You must be delighted that it has, after 24 years since you started it, to have it on screen. Oh, just brilliant. It's just to get the monkey out the back. And to know that, you know, Kay Bourne used to say, there's no substitute for thought, you know. So the first thought of this film happened when I was about eight years old and I came up in school and I saw the mother hanging out of a stool hanging wallpaper with, you know, a pair of knickers on her head uh, to protect her from the freshly painted ceiling. The stew was gone, the potatoes was bubbling, you know, the earning was done, the fur was gone. I looked up at this woman and I said, this woman's a star. And all the women on the street in Ballyferma were like this. And in that moment, this, you know, it really is it's crystal clear in my mind. At that moment, I thought, this is a great movie. And she loved Bette Davis and she loved John Crawford. And I said, you know what? One day I'm going to bring them back. In my innocence, I'm going to bring them back to play these women. Now, Joan and Beth died. So I got, you know, I had a very fortunate experience to work with Joan Allen. And she read the script and she says, who would you like to, to play? And I says, well, my, my first choice, you know, embarrassed at my own ambition. And I said, my first choice would be Maggie Smith. And she says, so my agent represents Maggie. I said, you're kidding me. And who else? And I said, um, Kathy Bates for Eileen. My agent represents that. So before you know it, all these years later, you know, it's in the hands of these amazing actors, you know. So came from that. But it's thought. the most remarkable cast. I mean, it's the sort of, it genuinely is the dream. Like, short of saying, get, throw in Meryl Streep and De Niro while you're at it. Like, I how know, would you do I any know. better? And there was other actors that we talked to. I won't mention their names, but, you know, it was, it was but, you know, we're there 20 years, Kathy and Maggie and Joan, who, who couldn't do it in the finish, but they've been, kind of talking about this for 20 years so they're almost like I'm not saying friends but they're almost like yeah almost they've been saying it for so long it's almost like you forget the magic of it until you're on set with them and you go wow it's Maggie Smith it's Cathy Bates Jimmy you know and what caused it to finally come to fruition? Was it that you were honing the script for the 20-year period or was it development hell or what? Well, it was kind of a bit of all that. I mean, it, it almost went a few times, including the HBO, and it almost went as well. And September 11th put it back. It went a few times. And then about five or six years ago, I said, let's, let's give this woman last, last you know, last bang. And when I, for, for them would have been last bang. I would have never have stopped myself. But I did another rewrite and we kind of, we worked a few people, John Gleeson uh, at, at BCP and Oshin O'Neill. We, we just worked with a couple of people, Chris Corling and Josh Merwer. And we, the, the word that we got back is that if you can get Maggie and Cathy to do it again and Joan, we could probably get the money together. So we did everything we could. We, we, we gave them the script again and they said, we'll give it one last go, Jimmy. And, uh, and for, you know, it was just a great team behind it and Thaddeus and Sullivan came in to direct it and it, it just, we, we just weren't going to stop until we get it. Particularly John Gleeson, I must say, you know, I, I, I complain a lot about lack of entrepreneurial spirit in Irish filmmaking, but John Gleeson and Ushin O'Neill, have a, you know, they, they have a company called BCP and they, they really went over the hill to get this, to get this thing made. And the Irish taxpayer with 481 and Screen Ireland put some money into it. And so it was a huge team effort to get it over the line. 
When you talk about the Irish film industry, am I right in saying that you originally started in the technical side of film? Were you lighting cameraman? And no, I wouldn't know how to put a. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to turn a switch. You know, like I, did, I but I did direct my my first film was two by four, and it it, uh, it was a film about blue collar workers in in New York. And uh, like I, I, I know how to direct actors, you know, I know how to do that stuff and I know how to write, but I don't know how to put a light switch on, you know, but that's OK, because you just hired a fella to do it. So I got Declan Quinn, a legendary cameraman, uh, Aidan Quinn's brother, it was a friend of mine, Declan, in New York. And I got him to shoot the film and we won some photography at Sundance, you know, and I'm very proud of that because I was the first Irishman to get into dramatic competition at Sundance in 1998, you know, when everybody was trying to get in there, you know, and uh, it's... You're it's, the first Irish... Award recipient Irish from Sundance. First Irish director ever ev, from any any Irish director. Uh, Ken Bourne's or not Ken Bourne's. Uh, Ed Bourne's was in the he's Irish American, but certainly the first the first fella from Ireland, the proper Irish from Ballyfermot, did the Sundance, which was crazy, you know. Now I'm doing the the movie a disservice if I don't get uh, a handle on the plot. You explained the thinking behind it and the genesis of the characters from seeing your own mother. Give us a sense of what the movie is about for the people who have yet to see it. Well, it really is. It's a homage to the women of that generation who were raising eight, raising eight, nine, ten, twelve. You know, like there was one family around the corner, twenty two kids, twenty two, twenty two kids. You know, I remember saying that to Maggie. I said, Maggie, there was one woman around the corner, twenty two kids. She says, Oh, that's just rude. <laughs> So I wanted to pay homage to that idea of of what it takes to raise big families like that. And behind that, the idea of birth and life was this idea that it came from God. So here you go. Here's child number 25. It's a gift from God. Congratulations in your two-bedroom house in Ballyfermot. So I wanted to discover what it, you know, I wanted to pay homage to them. And I wanted also to find out what was behind that resilience and hope that's really emblematic of working class culture you know I was very uh, I was very interested in that kind of emotional vibrancy and that you know never die never give in the hope and the joy and all that kind of stuff in the midst of all the kind of economic chaos that was going on in Ireland in the 70s there was a war going on in the north there was church infused fear what kept us going that we never gave in and we always had this hope and so that was about that and then going to Lourdes was really was about this idea of of looking for for hope and looking for a miracle and looking for peace to some secrets that these women have, and I thought if we go to Lourdes, we can bring the most horrendous secrets that they may have to the bosom of their like universal eternal mother. Because you know back then everybody had a, a little font of the Lourdes water as you walk out your door, and your mother would poke you in the and nearly take the eye out of your blessing. You going out the door, get get straight to school, straight home, and don't 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 mess, you know. But you got that feeling of water and cleansing and a feeling of the female deity watching over you. And it was that whole idea of the female deity, the Virgin Mary. She's, it's yin and yang. It's, 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 you know, Parvati. It's all the, you know, and a lot of religions have your male and your female deities. But the one I grew up with was the Virgin Mary. Now explain one thing to me, Jimmy. How do you get that to be understood by a Maggie Smith or by a Kathy Bates? Because there is so much of that that is ingrained in an Irish culture, in an Irish working class culture, in a, in a Ballyfermot culture. Neither of them are exactly from Ballyfermot. Well, we, no, but you see, this is the thing about, you know, the other point that I wanted to make was that that, that kind of, uh, I'm, this is what I talked to Cathy and Laura and Maggie about when we, when we met. We met for a whole afternoon one time in, in, in the Marion Hotel. And we talked about that kind of uh, emotional vibrancy of working class culture. And I lived in New York. I lived in Brooklyn for 20 years. You know, I lived with the Italians, the Polish, and the whole nine. Yeah, you're doing, how you doing? And they still have that emotionalism that, that drives them. So, but when you have, 
like when you have actors of that calibre and when they understood that the reason they were here in Ireland was because I wanted to elevate the women of this street to kind of the world stage and the culture behind it was this idea of faith and hope and suffering and how we get through it. And we sat for, for three hours and Maggie told me all about her life growing up in, in, I think it was England, she was born north of England, a terraced house and how religion was a huge part of her life. You know, she was Protestant and, you know, how it was, it was you know, she could identify so much with Catholicism. And Cathy told me the same thing about her. She, she's Irish-American, blew up in a kind of a blue collar. I think it was Kentucky or Tennessee, not too sure. But we were just, it was like, do you know something? There's no, there's no, Anton and Laura. We were absolutely, it was like sitting around my mother's kitchen table in the 70s, you know. Like, we had to be told, right, enough talking, let's get to work. We were three, three four hours talking about it. Couldn't stop talking. And then one last thing I'd say very quickly Maggie said to me, she says, um, tell me about Lily Fox, the character she plays. Tell me, tell me, how, what, what is she? And I said, she's kind of based on my mother, but she's also based on my Auntie Rose. Tell me about Auntie Rose. And I said, well, Auntie Rose, I said, she was this inner city woman, I says, you know, born in the 20s, 30s. And I says, everything with Auntie Rose was a tragedy. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, if Auntie Rose had to go to Disneyland, she'd say, I have to go to Disneyland. <laughs> if she won the lottery, she'd say, I won the lottery. Everything's a tragedy, Maggie. And, and Maggie went, I got you. And I mean, I'd say, McCarthy, so people have that talent. You could just get them a few things and you just leave them alone because they know what they're doing, you know. It has to be said, it's the most remarkable cast that you got together. The film, which is uh, just hitting cinemas, is The Miracle Club. The man responsible for that film is Jimmy Smallhorn. Jimmy, great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Anton. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.